0: Today's Palm Sunday. Woohoo! I love Palm Sunday. Come on, you know. I love Palm Sunday. Uh, many of you have great memories of Palm Sunday. If you're like me, grow up in the church, you know, you just remember slapping kids around with palms, you know, at Sunday school. It was just a great time. Palm Sunday is different than Easter, isn't it? It is different because there are no distractions. There's nobody thinking today about brunch. Nobody's thinking about, you know, all the things that you have to do on Easter, the Easter baskets, chocolates. There's no bunnies today. No bunnies today. So we're just going to get rid of the bunny right now. And uh, there you go. And so you can take that bunny home if you like. And um, I thought she might need a bunny to get through this service. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about... Let's talk a little bit about the story, because the focus of Palm Sunday is the story. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus as the king coming into Jerusalem. And as we walk through this story today, we're going to look at three different elements of the story. to kind of focus us as we move through it. And uh, I hope that you'll see Palm Sunday in a new way, in a different way maybe in a way that you've never seen it before. Let's begin. The first of these elements is an improvised procession, an improvised procession. Look at what it says in the scripture, the very core of the story. It says, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches. From the trees and they spread them out on the road and the crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, imagine if this were today. Imagine you're working downtown in your office up on the fourth or fifth floor. You look out and you see this this. Mob of people down in the street and you look out and you say, oh, my goodness, who are these people? I hope this doesn't turn violent. It's going to be a bear trying to get home in the traffic with this going on. Right. All these things that go through our mind. Now, think about if you were a person in the first century in Jerusalem and you look out to the east at the Mount of Olives and all of a sudden this mob of dirty Galileans are coming over the hill and they got these branches in their hands and they're taking their cloaks off and they're laying them on the ground. You're thinking, who are these people? And the person at the center of it all is a guy on a donkey. This is Palm Sunday. This is the triumphal entry. Now, for us, we all, we all know the story. We know what it means. We know who it's about. We know all of the background. But for the people of Jerusalem, it was just an improvised parade of insignificant people. Had this really been an important event, the right people would have been there surrounding this figure. Had it been an important event, it would have been announced, at least on Facebook and Instagram, right? At least we would have gotten noticed that this was happening. It wouldn't have been improvised. It would have been an orchestrated pageant of an event. But When we look deeper into the text, we realize that there was a great deal of planning that went into Palm Sunday, that went into this entrance into Jerusalem. It just wasn't by the crowd that followed Jesus. All of it was planned by God himself. Take a look at what it says in the scripture. Jesus and two of his disciples... Saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And once you find a donkey there with the colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord has need of them and he will send them right away. Now think about how strange this is. God has pre-positioned resources for this event. This donkey is in the town of Bethpage just before uh, where the uh, the whole group is coming. And Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead and he says, go get these donkeys and bring them to me. And if anybody asks anything, just tell them that the Lord has need of them. Right. And so the disciples go and this guy comes out with his shotgun. Right. And he says, what are you doing with my donkeys? And the disciples go, the, 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 the master has need of them. And the guy says, oh, OK, take them. And you can just imagine the disciples walking away going, this is crazy. This is nuts. They take the donkeys to Jesus and everybody gets Jesus gets on top They put their cloaks on them and begin the procession. Now, it's interesting because Matthew describes to us that the. Really, the script for this entire event has been laid out for hundreds of years. Look at what it says. Matthew says to us from Zechariah. It says, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on the colt, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why? Why does God orchestrate this event in this way? Why does God go through so much planning to lay this out? Well, because this event is a picture of the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus came into Galilee saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, right? But now the kingdom is here. The kingdom has arrived. This is a picture of the kingdom of God. It's a picture of the church. It's a picture of you and me. That's why it's so important. To the casual observer, it looked like an improvised parade. A haphazard collection of rejects and nobodies. Weak and troubled people who shared an excitement for some random guy on a donkey. You know, this is the way the world sees us. The world sees us as weak-minded inflexible people clinging to an outdated belief system. I mean, haven't we seen that in the news today as what happened in Nashville kind of hit the news and people were quick to look to the church and say, these people, they're, they're all just a bunch of bigots, right? You know, there's this narrative about who we are. Don't be surprised by that. Because that's the way the world has seen us from the very beginning. And it's the way the world will always see us. Because they don't understand. They don't know who we are. They don't understand the kingdom of God. People may even look at your life. Heck, you may even look at your own life. And say, I'm an improvised parade of failures and crazy choices and misguided hopes. But God has pre-positioned resources for your life and he has laid out a path for you to walk. God has a plan for you and for each one of us and for us collectively as his church. And he has laid it out before us. A lot of planning has gone into it. He has been orchestrating events in your life. He has been drawing people to you so that you can proclaim the truth of his gospel, the truth of the kingdom. Rest in the fact that there's nothing improvised about your life. God has a plan. And he's working out that plan. I don't know how your life has gone, whether it's gone according to your plan or not. But all of us have had twists and turns in our lives. And we look at our life and we say, God, what are you doing? This looks like an improv, like somebody's improvising here. Like nothing's planned. But yet God has laid things out. And you might might ask the question, how do I understand my life? How do I interpret what God is doing? Well, the answer is seen in this text. It's the same as the triumphal entry. The only way we understand the triumphal entry is because we look at the scripture in the Old Testament. That's why Matthew quotes so many scriptures in this passage. So many passages from the Old Testament inform what happened and why it happened and how we're supposed to understand it. And the same is true with your life. If you want to understand the twists and turns of your life, go to the Word of God. Because it's through God's Word that we understand what God is doing in our life, it's the only way to make sense. And as we do, as we look into God's word, we begin to see that God is in control, that God is, has a plan, that God is moving us forward in a way that glorifies him. And in a way that benefits us, an improvised procession. The next element of this story is a confused reception a confused reception. Look at what it says. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? You see, when we follow God's plan for our life, the world around us gets stirred up. This is what happened with Jesus in Jerusalem. And this is what happens with us. People get agitated. People get uncomfortable. They don't know what to do around us. Did this ever happen to you? You know, you meet somebody new. it's happened to me a lot. And it, it happens to me because I'm a pastor. So I meet people, you know, out in the out in the street. You get to know them. You start talking with them. And uh, things start getting comfortable. And then all of a sudden they ask, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And they go, oh. And then you can see they're replaying the tape in their mind of everything that they said to see if what something they said is going to send them to hell or something, you know. Because all of a sudden they realize that they're in the they I mean a pastor, a Christian. And sometimes this happens with us, doesn't it? Because the world gets uncomfortable around us. We stir things up just because we follow Jesus. And this is what happened in this time with Jesus. It raised the question who is this? This is the question that they asked Who is this guy? Who is this man is the question of identity. For us, it may be, why are you so different? Why do you believe what you believe? Why are you taking your vacation time and your money and going on a mission trip to Africa? What are you, crazy? The questions that people ask us. They're important questions because these questions are a doorway into the gospel. You see, as we live out our lives, as we follow Jesus and we wave our palm branch, just like the little kids that walk through the aisles, right? We wave our palm branch and we worship the Lord, just living our lives. It draws out these kinds of questions from people and they want to understand why we're different, why we're doing what we do. Questions are good. You know, questions are good because questions indicate growth in people. You see, when we live our lives according to the values of the kingdom, then it plants a seed in the hearts of people around us. And when they ask us questions about it, it means that that seed is starting to grow. It indicates growth. And so we should welcome questions. And so when people say to us, what are you all about? I don't get it. I don't understand you. Why do you act the way you do? It's a good thing. The seed is starting to grow. That plant is starting to rise up within them. And so we want to answer their questions. We want to answer them in such a way that it generates more questions. Because then they continue to pursue God. They continue to ask those questions And soon they come to know who Jesus is. This is what we want. The crowd answered the inquiries about Jesus by saying, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And you can imagine some of them enthusiastically at the beginning said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And then as the people from Jerusalem repeated it, it became more and more cynical. This is some prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Are you kidding me? He's just another religious guy, just another religious movement. Someone who has no effect in my life from some obscure place. And isn't that the way that our world sees Jesus today? Jesus is just this. He's just another way to God. He's just another religion among many religions. He's just a person who lived a long time ago in a place that's far away that I've never heard of. And I don't really understand him. And he's not relevant in my life. That's the way the world sees Jesus. But again, if we look a little deeper, we see that this title has more than meets the eye. You see, Jesus was from a little town called Nazareth. Nazareth didn't exist in the Old Testament. If you look through all the records of the Old Testament, like every town is mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, But Nazareth isn't mentioned. It's probably a settlement that was established a couple hundred years before Jesus of Jews that left Jerusalem and the Jerusalem area and moved to Galilee to settle that area, to make it more Jewish. They established this little town and they probably named it after the Hebrew word Nesher. And that word means branch. And why would they use this word? Well, there's a prophecy in the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah chapter 11. It says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse and from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. You see, Jesus is the branch. Jesus is the branch that brings life. I love the picture Because this stump is David's family tree. And it had been cut off. The kings were sent into exile. The kingdom was broken. The dynasty was over. And there was just a stump left. A dead, moss-covered, termite-eaten stump. And from the midst of that stump, pops up a shoot. And that shoot will become a branch. And that branch will bear fruit and it will bring life. That's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. Amen. From death comes life. Where there was despair. Now all of a sudden there's hope. This is the message of Jesus. And this is the identity of Jesus. That's hidden. That the world doesn't understand but it's exactly what the world is looking for because they're wandering around in the dark and Jesus is the light. He is the only one who can bring light into their darkness. So he talked about an improvised procession and then a confused reception. Finally, I'd like to talk about an insignificant recognition. According to Matthew, Jesus goes to the temple. And he cleanses the temple. Look at what it says. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there, and he overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Jesus cleanses the temple. Talk about causing a stir. Jesus caused a stir. He went to the temple and he got right in the middle of what was most important to the most religious and powerful people in Jerusalem. This one event is probably the most important event that caused Jesus to go to the cross. Okay, but we're not going to talk about this event today. I want to move on and I want to talk about what follows because it's a passage many times that gets overlooked. So I want to look at the blind and the lame coming into the temple Look at what it says. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were indignant. The blind and the lame came into the temple. Look at this picture. These people who are blind and lame, who really shouldn't have been in the temple at all, they come to the temple seeking God and they find Jesus. And Jesus heals them. He meets their need. He changes their life. Isn't this what should be happening every Sunday here at our church? Oh, that these seats were filled with the blind and the lame. And I'm not talking about the physically blind and the physically lame, although that would be okay. I'm talking about those who are spiritually blind and spiritually lame. You see, most of us know Jesus. We've seen him all our lives. And most of us have been walking the Christian walk. We've been following Jesus for many, many years. But there are some out there. There are many out there that can't follow Jesus because they're lame. They can't walk. They can't see Jesus because they're blind and they can't see. And oh, that they would wander into our church and they would sit here in these seats next to you and me and they would hear of a Jesus who loves them and would heal them. That's why it's so important that we invite people to come that we create an environment that's welcoming for those who are looking for Jesus, who are seeking him so that they might find him and might be changed. And then there's a warning because we are the religious people. Be careful we don't get indignant when people come into our church and disrupt what we normally do. You see, that's what they were all upset about. Jesus came into their house and disrupted church. And we have to be careful that we don't become indignant. Because God is bringing people who who have incredible needs. And they can't see Jesus. And they can't follow Jesus. Because they're blind and they're lame. And they haven't met him yet. And they haven't been healed. And they haven't been restored. But who better to love them? And to care for them than we, his followers. Be careful, church, that we don't get indignant. Notice who recognizes Jesus' identity it's the children, it's the children in the temple. The temple is full of people who should know about God, it's full of priests, it's full of teachers of the law, it's full of professional believers in God. And yet, none of them recognized who Jesus was. But the children are jumping and bouncing around in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. They're excited about who Jesus is, about his identity, that he's come. Children see clearly and they believe with innocent faith. It's harder for us as adults to just believe. I think that we seek recognition many times from the wrong sources. At our core, many of us, if not most of us, are people who are insecure. We're insecure about a lot of things in our lives. We're insecure about whether people like us, about whether we're successful, about whether we're accepted. And we look for important people to affirm, to recognize that we are, that we're cool, that we're good, that we're fine. And so we're looking for that from people around us. We seek the approval of important people, popular people. Today, we call them the influencers, right? We're looking for people who are influencers, to recognize us and affirm us. Jesus' praise on this, his most important day, his biggest day to date in his ministry came from people who were not influencers. There were people who who had no influence. There were children and children had no voice, but God used their voice to affirm the truth about who Jesus was. There's a lot of things that we can apply from this little thought, isn't there? See, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you think you have a voice or not. As we proclaim the truth of who Jesus is, it brings glory to God. And it's a seed planted in the lives of people around us. So keep waving your palm branch. Keep proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is because he looks to those who have no voice and he gives us a voice so that we can proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. God also gives us the recognition that we need. Sometimes it doesn't come from the places that we think. It comes from sources that are insignificant to this world. And sometimes we're looking for praise in all the wrong places. Maybe we need to look to children. Start with your own children. Maybe we need to look to our spouse, other people that really love us. Maybe we need to look to them for affirmation rather than looking to the world for affirmation. Because the world doesn't have your best interest at heart. They don't understand you. You see, Matthew uses the term the kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke both call it the kingdom of God. But Matthew focuses on the kingdom of heaven. Why does he call it the kingdom of heaven? Because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. This world doesn't understand it. It's a kingdom that is literally out of this world. And yet we continue to look this world to affirm us. We continue to look to this world for our models. And we shouldn't. You see, your life, this church, to the world just looks like an improvised procession of misfits and nobodies. The island of misfit toys. That's us. That's okay. Okay because God in his wisdom and in his power and in his grace has decided to use us to proclaim the truth. Those who have no voice, he gives a voice so that we might proclaim Hosanna in the highest. The kingdom is here. The king has come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for Palm Sunday. We thank you, Lord God, that you have called us to walk this walk of faith, to wave our branches in the sky, to remember who you are, and to call the world to follow you, to believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.